This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job that. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. All right. Now we have a special sponsor I want to tell you about here now today. Writer director Dan Brown has a new play taking place at the Chain Theater on West 36th Street in New York City on January 7th, 2023. The 11 story drop, an evening of monologues, music, dance, and redemption is a new collection of original fiction and musical compositions featuring characters facing a crossroads in their lives. These 11 acts tap into the heart and soul of audience members and just may lead you on a new path towards self-discovery. The 11-story drop will leave you asking, how did I get to this place in life and where do I go from here? The 11-story drop features comedy, dark drama, music, and dance to create an engaging and entertaining live show experience. Tickets are affordably priced and can be purchased at 11storydrop.eventbrite.com. That's 11storydrop, E-L-E-V-E-N-S-T-O-R-Y-D-R-O-P at eventbrite.com. Writer-director Dan Brown presents the 11-story drop, an evening of monologues, music, dance, and redemption at the Chain Theater on January 7th. Showtime is 7 p.m. And he's got something else going, Brad. Yeah, so uh, Dan Brown is also going offering up two free tickets to an Art of Darkness listener. Um you uh you can if you so if you're gonna be in New York City, if you can be in New York City and you want to check this out, um it's a really cool independent theater. Um, this is a really cool project. Strongly recommending you you check this out. Um, if you want those free tickets, you can email us, artofdarkpod at gmail.com. We'll make sure that happens. Um, otherwise, go to uh, 11storydrop.eventbrite.com to get tickets or other inform and other information. That's E-L-E-V-E-N-S-T-O-R-Y-D-R-O-P at eventbrite.com. 
Yeah, right on. This is the kind of thing we want to support. Independent theater, people getting out there and making stuff. So At 100%. Yes. 100. Yeah. Email us artofdarkpod at gmail.com. And uh, it's going to be first come, first serve. So get at it. I'm Brad Kelly. I'm here with my friend and co-host and podcast co-adventurer, Kevin Kautzman. Kevin, how are you doing? Woo! That's my welcome to 2023 <laughs> noise. Mm-hmm. That is my welcome, Sam Bunce of the Bunce cast to the pod. Mm-hmm. And we thank are, you. yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm at the same level of enthusiasm. Excellent. Being internalized though, and, and not, but I, I am right. the same level. Right. That's, I will, that's I've got enough woo in me for all three of us. I am yeah. jacked. Yeah. We were fiddling <laughs> with YouTube to get us ready to, to live stream. We're going to be doing more of that. Uh, so if you're in the Telegram, if you're hanging out with us, if you're on the tweeters, look out for that link. If you want to join, say something, do that. But this is still Art of Darkness. We're still doing the thing we do, and this is a darkroom episode. And Brad, you you organized this one with Sam. Do you want to do you want to introduce him? Yeah, yeah. Um, I Sam and I got talking, and and we've known each other online. This is actually the first time we've ever sort of met, uh, you know, talking to each other, seeing each other. But we've been talking, we've been online friends for a while now. Um, and uh, Sam is uh, a writer. Uh, his fiction includes short story collection, The Great American Cougar Hunt. The occult thriller novel, The God of Smoke and Mirrors, which I've read quite good. Definitely check it out if occult and thriller and funny uh, all sound good to you. Um, it's definitely something you're going to want to check out. Um, he also maintains the website, The Muted Trumpet. That's the muted trumpet.wordpress.com. He's got a number of short stories, also poetry, uh, culture writings, and more. As we mentioned, he's got the Bunce cast. Um, rejuvenated coming into 2023 20 sorry 2023 the bunts cast definitely check that out guests include some friends of ours uh and some people we'd like to be friends with so uh definitely check that out um and sam is a multi-talented man and i thought who better to come on and talk about another multi-talented man and that is gi gurdjieff so sam welcome thank you for for coming and spending some time with us um it's really a pleasure to have you yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I've I've enjoyed both of your uh, Twitter commentary for a long time. Oh, yeah, good. we've been in in a similar solar system on there for a while. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and same to you. I mean, you're yeah. Sam is a great Twitter follower. Follow at Sam B U N T Z. There's no numbers or anything. It's just that, no, right? It's just not Sam Bunch. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, and and another reason I thought to that that Gurdjieff would be a good candidate for you is Gurdjieff is your Avi. Yeah, somehow I I snapped that up. That yeah, that became my main credential for talking about uh, Gurdjieff. <laughs> is that I, I? It's kind of weird to me because he has such an imposing look. Um, he's kind of a Chad, really. Uh, mm-hmm. You think that people would would snap that up? You think you'd see more Gurdjieff uh, profile pictures on Twitter, but you really don't. So yeah, yeah, it's surprising. I do wonder what that's about because yeah, Gurdjieff with red eye, red glowing eyes would be a pretty catchy. <laughs> pretty meme worthy image for sure um yeah absolutely well maybe well i think that i think that everybody on twitter is trying to create their own cult 
So if yeah. you, it's a little on the nose, present company excluded. I'm yeah. sure that that you, uh, Sam, are, are uh, an, the exception to this. Yeah, I wonder why. That is interesting. Yeah. Gurdjieff with glowing eyes would be powerful. Mm-hmm. He was Absolutely. a Chad. We we discovered on our core episode that we did, which was an early episode. I think Gurdjieff was one of the first like 90 minute episodes or hundred yeah. minute episodes where we've started to go. Hmm, yeah. We, hmm, we can really start yeah. to go longer here. And yeah. I remember discovering that they don't even know how many children he has by how many women. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that is pretty wild. Well, I, I mean, I say we get into it. Let me tease the after dark for Patreon. Of sure. course, we always do an extra 20 or 30 minutes, patreon.com slash art of dark pod. And on this episode, I have some of Gurdjieff's exercises, and I'm going to read a few of them on the like the main part of this. Uh, but then I'm going to save some additional ones for the for the you after said, dark. Which you I, talking like blasting his buys and tries, or what, what are we? Right. Okay. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah, you got <laughs> Gurdjieff was all about lifting heavy, slonking eggs, and sunning uh, various parts of your body. Uh, yeah, of course. And, and, and shaving your head so that the rays of the suns so that the solar rays could, uh, make your podcast better, which that, is why that one, one half that one works. That one. Yeah, works. it does. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. We're living proof of it. That's why this show is half the time. This show is quality. <laughs> um, uh, but then I also have some of his thoughts on sex, which I think will be quite interesting for mm-hmm. Patreon after dark. Uh, artofdarkpod.com, patreon.com slash artofdark. So that's going to be fun. I want to get into it with you right now, Sam. How did you encounter Gurdjieff? That's a question that you can ask anybody because he's 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 in the culture. You can find him in bookstores, but it's one of these funny names. And uh, yeah, when you find a Gurdjieff person, it's sort of like, ooh, okay, you know, what do you know? And how did you come at it? Yeah. Well, I think I saw um, a copy of Meetings with Remarkable Men, his autobiography on someone's shelf in freshman year of college. And I actually still haven't read that book, but I sort of like noted it. And I was like, oh, that seems interesting. That seems like something that would be up my alley. And then later I was at the library in college, like looking for Gurdjieff related books. And I found one by um, J.G. Bennett, John Bennett, Mm -hmm. who was one of his students, um, called Is There Life on Planet Earth? And uh, it's not like one of the more famous books about Gurdjieff. You know, In Search of the Miraculous by P.D. Ospensky is really the the main the, the and best introduction to Gurdjieff. Um, but this book, it's a, it was like a short 100-page, 100 120-page little introduction to his ideas. And... Uh, I was intrigued by the title, Is There Life on Planet Earth? You know, it's a reference to Gurdjieff's ideas that were, despite our pretensions towards being conscious or having free will, we're really just all uh, in a state of sleep. We're just acting automatically and mechanically. And uh, so the question, is there life on planet Earth? It's like a question, is there their actual consciousness or uh, uh, real freedom? on planet mm-hmm. it's a good title and it's a good question too i mean it seems timeless in a way but there's there's a certain uh there's a certain quality of online interaction because i think something kind of has happened with the internet for good and for ill 
um, where we're all kind of meeting each other in a way that we weren't meeting each other before. You'd meet people at school, you'd meet people at work, people in your family, but mostly it was it was kind of one degree of separation or two degrees of separation kind of collapsing. That's basically how you're meeting people. And now we're all just meeting each other. And I do think you meet some incredible people. You know, we get to make a connection like this. But then also every once in a while you run into people who are like, what are you talking about? Like, who are these aliens that are <laughs> that think this thing? And I'm not going to say what that thing is, but just like there is a certain sense like, man, wait, is there like like, is there life on Earth or is it just a bunch yeah. of quote unquote NPCs running around? Because sometimes it seems like it could be the latter. Um, and that immediately made me think of the great Bowie lyric, is there life on Mars? Mm. Uh, and I know, Sam, you have a, a ripe copy of Bezelbub's Tales to his grandson. And yeah. I'm hoping at some point during the main episode here, you could maybe just read us a passage, like almost pick it up randomly. Uh, I think that would be fun to, to refresh ourselves a little bit about Gurdjieff's style. But I just did a quick search. And, and as so often happens with figures like this, Crowley, uh, really, uh, many of the subjects we cover uh, covered, uh, but but also, but you know, Gurdjieff. There's a Bowie connection, not directly, but I'm going to read what I found. All I did was search Gurdjieff and Bowie, hmm. and I don't even. This is John McFerrin Music Reviews.org. It took me about two listens to decide that this was going to be my favorite Bowie album for the rest of time. This is the second entry in Bowie's late, he's talking about Heroes, late 70s uh, collaboration with Brian Eno, and for whatever it may have in common with Low, which is my favorite Bowie record, and for whatever it uh, may be an advancement in the production and general approach, the biggest thing that sets this album apart from Low for me is that it actually has classics. Whereas Low simmered at a solidly very good level without contributing, in my opinion, a single all-time great Bowie track, wrong. This album <laughs> maintains wrong. The ba the same baseline quality at worst while throwing out peaks uh, repeatedly. Uh, there's not a single dud on Low, either the A side or the B side. And uh, at, well, anyway, Eno and Bowie brought out the best in each other with this album. And when the contributions of Robert Fripp of King Crimson fame Mm -hmm. In his first recording appearance since he temporarily decided to abandon the music industry and find life meaning in the fourth way, a system of spiritual thought taught by a man named Gurdjieff are accounted for. That's a hell of a parenthetical yeah. are accounted for. It's pretty much impossible for me not to love this album. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But there it is, right? So yeah. you've got David Bowie, you've got the great Fripp, and he nearly retired from music or he did retire from music temporarily to go at Gurdjieff and Fripp mm. is exactly the kind of guy don't you think uh Sam that would be intrigued yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense um also people who you wouldn't necessarily expect or maybe you would um have been you know influenced by Gurdjieff like it feels like like um he's exerted a lot of secret invisible influence on the arts like Bill Murray uh, is a follower of Gurdjieff and hmm. probably the most famous one, I I think, at least. Is that right? It comes to mind. Yeah. Kate wow. Bush, Kate Bush was influenced by his ideas. And um, it's an interesting issue, too, with like this question. Or, oh, Sam Shepard as well, the playwright. Oh, no, no shit. You're yeah. kidding me. 
an actor. Well, he used to live. I mean, he used to live not far from where I live here in Minnesota. Oh, really? He used, to, yeah, yeah, Stillwater, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You oh, can I, still I find know. a few bartenders down there who will tell you a Sam story. And it's funny because, of course, to me, he's uh, on the mountain of great American playwrights and great American heroes. But Stillwater, Minnesota is the kind of town he could just walk downtown, go to a bar. Nobody would say a word. I guarantee cool. most a lot of the people wouldn't know who he even know who he was. And he'd just sit mm-hmm. and have a drink. Yeah, cool. That is cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, Gertrude's own views on art. You can see what, how he would influence uh, the arts, but it's also kind of, uh, you know, he was sort of dismissive of a lot of the art in all areas being created because, um, you know, he saw it as just a, a product of people's mechanical, uh, associative, uh, sleeping minds at work. You know, he, mm-hmm. he didn't see in a lot of art like uh, what he wanted, which was, he called it like objective art. It was art that uh could create an emotional uh effect in you that would be like it wouldn't be random you would like have to feel that way because the art would be so constructed as to to automatically bring out that reaction in you Uh i forget interesting i forget what examples okay i think the examples he gave of that were in the area of architecture more it was like Hmm. um the pyramids and I think the Taj Mahal. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure what his views were on like novels, for instance, or, right. or music, though he did make music. He helped this composer, um, Thomas DeHartman, sort of transcribed Gurdjieff's, um, these musical ideas that Gurdjieff had. Um, yeah, and you could go and listen to this stuff now. I mean, I saw a live performance of the DeHartman Gurdjieff music, and it is. Uh, it's emotionally compelling. It really is. It puts you in a kind of trance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It makes you sort of slow down and uh, pay attention. So that's the effect he's getting from everybody. It's interesting because we had from a very different angle, a similar conversation in our Norm MacDonald episode. Norm MacDonald, great comedian, was saying comedy is not an art because you're trying to get the same response out of everyone. You're trying to make everybody laugh. And by his definition, that made it not art, which I just think is an interesting sort of other side of the coin. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I've got something here about Bill Murray. Uh, This is from open culture, but what influence best explains Murray's distinctive on screen and increasingly performance art, like off screen behavior today, maybe that of his one time teacher, well, I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't think Gurdjieff was a lie. I don't think. Well, in any case, Uh-oh. the Greco-Armenian Sufi mystic G.I. Gurdjieff, who, as Murray's Ghostbusters co-star Harold Ramis put it, used to act really irrationally to his students, almost as if trying to teach them object lessons. Yes, we'll get into that a little bit. Hmm. He taught what he called the fourth way of enlightenment or more fittingly in Murray's case, the way of the sly man who can find the truth in everyday life by remaining simultaneously aware of both the outside world and his inner one while not getting caught up in either. The slime man thus exists between and uses the world, the self, and the self that is observing everything. Well, there is a a bit of Bill Murray in that. I mean, there's this is kind of quieted down, but there was a sort of a period, I don't know, around 2010 or so, where like there were always these stories popping up about Bill Murray. There's a story about him stealing somebody's Diet Coke at a 
baseball game or something and saying no one will ever believe you right and there's a story about him uh when we kevin when you and i lived in texas not that we were there for it but he he just stepped behind the bar in austin and started serving drinks but he served tequila shots to everyone who ordered anything um and then there's stories of him like occasionally just showing up to somebody's house party hanging out and then doing the dishes and leaving so yeah there is something kind of like but, and all of those will make you go wait huh what yeah what, I mean, it, it even shows it is sort of his his comic style which is like he's watching himself do the thing that he's doing and it sets mm. him apart from the other comic actors and in the right combination it's like perfect like mm. it, he makes ghostbusters of course mm -hmm. uh just just absolutely hilarious i did not know that sam so the the bill murray cool. gurdjieff connection that made my day so thank you <laughs> I was. Uh, you mentioned the um, uh, the DeHartmans as well. Are you familiar with this with the book that they wrote, "Our Life with Mr. Gurdjieff? Uh Yeah, I am actually. I I read part of it. I liked it. I thought it was interesting. It's like a very simple and straightforward book, but it kind of gives you a good idea of like what living with Gurdjieff Gurdjieff was really like and what uh what he meant to people. You know why he he ended up having this huge influence. Well, it's kind of a great adventure story. Uh, I have some reading about this. Um, if you'd like to, maybe I could share it as a launching off point. Yeah. Uh, how does that sound? All right. So I'll read a few. Yeah, I'll read a few paras. Uh, let me get to the Gurdjieff part because, of course, that's the and this is in the Gurdjieff International Review. And I kind of <laughs> like the the Gurdjieffins because they're so their websites look like almost like Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of them, they're very, they're kind of old school. They were very early to the internet. They don't need the yeah, next level. Do they, they, they don't yeah, need right. it. They don't need an app, you know? Yeah. I don't, well, yeah. But they probably have one, but uh, have that's one. neither here. It's probably awesome. Mm. Uh, but, in, but in any case, uh, they, they have all of these journals and reviews and it has the kind of the veneer of almost a, an academic kind of a study, but nobody's really kind of fooled mm, <laughs> you know yeah. i mean yeah. we, we're still talking about a fringe figure is that fair to say uh sam yeah i mean in terms of like you wouldn't have scholars citing gurdjieff in their, their <laughs> analyses of of religion or culture but, right which is yeah. maybe which is maybe a shame i don't know i mean maybe that well, can't be any worse than foucault so right. you know a lot of it is uh fashion isn't it yeah, and That's Foucault true. is the number one most cited scholar, not just in the humanities, but in any field. Is that Tremendous. right, Foucault? Yep. yep. So when the when bridges more bridges Temple. start collapsing, <laughs> right. well, no, it's because some engineer was trying to get tenure. <laughs> uh, in any case, um, let's read a little bit about this. In 1916. Uh, De Hartmann's and, and Tomas De Hartmann was the court composer to the the Czar. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was very, very well connected. If I'm not mistaken, I want to before the I, before the revolution, right? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Thomas De Hartmann. Let me let me. In time. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done you know uh, an, uh, you know like an extreme amount of prep for the uh, for the darkroom here, but let me just make sure I'm accurate. I mean, he was the composer. Mm -hmm. let's find it uh one moment yeah, yeah so this he, would yeah 
Yeah, he was like he, he was like living in the Winter Palace when they escaped with Gurdjieff. I mean, it was just wow. this like if I'm not mis- again, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while. This is a, this is an incredible story to get um to get to the bottom of. So let me let me read some. Uh, where is it here? I have it. Uh, Tomas de Hartman. Uh, no, I want to get it here. So in 1916. In 1916, de Hartman's spiritual life was profoundly affected when, in a prostitute-filled cafe, on, I like that detail, on the Nevsky Prospect in St. Petersburg, he was introduced to George Ivanovich Gurdjieff. De Hartman later wrote, uh, in his and Olga's extraordinary memoir, Our Life with Mr. Gurdjieff. After this meeting, my life sort of uh, became a fairy tale. Olga Hartman amplified, Mr. Uh, Gurdjieff was an unknown person, a mystery. Nobody knew about his teaching. Nobody knew his origin. But whoever came into contact with him wished to follow him. And so did Tomas Hartman and I. And follow him they did. They remained in his immediate orbit and under his spiritual tutelage for the next 12 years, with Thomas serving as, among other things, accompanist, accompanist and composer in residence, while Olga served as Gurdjieff's personal secretary. Uh, Gurdjieff, having spent much of his life traveling to spiritual centers in the Middle and Far East, appeared in St. Petersburg in 1913 under a cloak of mystery and intrigue. He was a nomadic Georgian mystic, the core of whose wisdom was centered around the idea that man was not born with an immortal soul. With the right kind of spiritual work, however, an immortal soul could be formed. Without undertaking such work under Gajif's carefully measured guidance, a person was no better than a machine, leaving their art, life, and culture without meaning. Uh, I'll read a little more here. In 1917, revolution brought an end to czarist rule in Russia, and with it, chaos and uncertainty. Members of the nobility and military officers, including DeHartman, feared angry reprisals from the Bolsheviks. DeHartman craftily secured travel papers uh, through his crumbling military contacts, and he and Olga immediately left St. Petersburg. They headed for the Caucasus, a rugged mountainous area in southern Russia, hoping to make a rendezvous with Gurdjieff. The following day, military po- police arrived at the DeHartman's apartment in St. Petersburg to arrest them, only to find it empty. The DeHartman soon met up with Gurdjieff in Essentucky. Is that how you say that? Uh, I, Essentucky. Don't know. I don't know. And be- yeah, that's uh, Essentucky. It's uh, yeah, yeah. next to, you know, and began next a period to, next of to Tennessee. In- right, exactly. Right. And uh, began a period of intense spiritual work. With Gurdjieff as their guide and with a group of other adherents, they continued their extraordinary escape through the Caucasus, first to Sochi and later to the imperial stronghold of Tbilisi. And this goes on and on, which is just why it wasn't wasn't Thomas DeHartman for part of this was like deathly ill for part of this flight is my understanding. And Gurdjieff is sort of like, you know, keeping him keeping him alive in the soul and soul. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Quite intense. Uh, I think that a good uh, introduction to Gurdjieff is to read the Aspensky book that Sam mentioned in, mm-hmm. in Search of the Miraculous, read yep. this biography, uh, and then maybe try to read some Gurdjieff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his uh, of Gurdjieff's own writings, um, Views from the Real World, uh, which I have here, it's like a compendium of actual talks that he gave to his followers okay okay. and it's it's pretty easy easy reading it's like uh because it shows him sort of like working as a teacher and presenting these teachings to people um whereas Beelzebub's tales to his grandson is like this 
a thousand plus, I don't know, <laughs> all cryptic and hard to understand. Like it's for the people who are already like, you know, following Gurchieff's path or whatever. Right. Wow. Yeah. The yeah, tales from Beelzebub. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to read it okay. three times. Ah. Yes. Yeah, and why you're supposed to read all of Gurdjieff's writing three times? What mm-hmm. were you going to say, Brad? Well, I was just going to say when I when I first heard, and I haven't read any of uh, Tales from Beelzebub, but when I first heard about it, I was like, this sounds a little bit like it could have been a prank. Like, like he might have been just sort of like, yeah, deal with that. Why don't you guys just read a that thousand page shit post? <laughs> I'm not saying it is. I don't even really understand what's in there, but that's that was my first impression. Like, huh, I wonder what's what the deal is with that. But so this book, um, I'm sorry, the, the views from the real world, was it? Yeah, views from the real world. Early okay. of Gurdjieff. Interesting. OK, because he was I mean, he was and this must have been transcribed by his followers or something, I would have to imagine. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. He roamed around through all these stuff through the world, really. Right, right, right. Now he had Kevin. He had what was it? The Institute for the Harmonious world. Development of Man. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I have. Uh, why don't I read a little bit of views from the real world, and okay. then uh, maybe our friend Sam could read a little bit from Bezelbub's Tales. That would be interesting to kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Pair them next to each other and see, compare, compare them a little bit. Well, here's the, here's the beginning of it. Uh, Let me see here. One, 1914 glimpses of truth written by one of Gurdjieff's circle in Moscow. Strange events incomprehensible from the ordinary point of view have guided my life. I mean, those events which influence a man's inner life, radically changing its direction and aim and creating new epochs in it. I call them incomprehensible because their connection was clear only to me. It was as though some invisible person in pursuit of a definite aim had placed in the path of my life circumstances, which at the very moment of my need, I found there as if by chance. Guided by such events, I became accustomed for my early years to look with great penetration into the circumstances surrounding me and to try to grasp the principle connecting them and to find in their interrelations a broader, more complete explanation. I must say that in every exterior result, it was the hidden cause evoking it that interested me most. One day in the court, and that's one para. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One day, I mean, this guy was, he could gab. One day in the course of my life, in this same apparently strange way, I found myself face to face with occultism and became interested in it as though in a deep and harmonious philosophical system. But at the very moment when I had reached something more than mere interest, I again lost, as suddenly as I had found it, the possibility of proceeding with its systematic study. In other words, I was thrown entirely on my own resources. This loss seemed a senseless failure, but I later recognized in it a necessary stage in the course of my life, and one full of deep meaning. This recognition came only much later, however. I did not deviate, but went forward on my own responsibility and at my own risk. Insuperable obstacles confronted me, forcing me to retreat. Vast horizons opened to my vision, and as I hastened forward, I often slipped or became entangled. Losing, as it seemed, what I had discovered, I remained wandering round on the same spot as though fog-bound. 
In searching, I had made many efforts and did apparently useless work rewarded inadequately by results. Today, I see that no effort went unrewarded and that every mistake served to guide me toward the truth. And just a little more. I plunged into the study of occult literature and without exaggeration can say that I not only read, but mastered patiently and perseveringly the greater part of the available material, trying to grasp the sense and to understand what was hidden between the lines. All this only served to convince me that I would never succeed in finding what I sought in books. Though I glimpsed the outlines of a majestic structure, I could not see it clearly and distinctly. Hmm. That is, you know, I'm not sure that I'm familiar with those, with this book. Uh, that's, I, that's quite potent to me. And clear. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let, I, there's a couple things I just want to point out. And then I want I definitely want to hear some BS, but just because I got stuff sparking off. I mean, the first part of that reminds me of this notion that like, um, Kevin, I'm sure you've heard this where it's like interesting stories, interesting stories happen to people who can tell them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, people, people ha who have interesting lives have interesting lives because they're interested in their life, right? It's a sort of like everybody's life would be a, is a chaotic epic adventure if they are willing to see it that way right and and there's something special about the way he's doing it and then of course he takes this dip into the occult which you know nobody i know uh, is into that <laughs> he's also setting up his sales pitch too let's sure, not forget Gurdjieff no, is a that's fine. fantastic uh, flim flam man right he's basically yeah. saying I did what all of you did or what many of you did. I read all of the occult literature. I right. found my own mm. secret meaning within it. And mm. yet it was not enough. Oh, right. well, oh. Where, what did he find? And then, of course, I'm sure he goes on and talks about his travels and all the rest sure. of it. Yeah. But then, yeah. and of course, in his own way, he would then go on and write a voluminous, dense doorstop of a book that, that Sam's cracking open right now. And... uh what do you have for us, Sam? Here, actually, I think um, I'm not. There's not like a great index in this, but I uh, I decided to look up. Um, I've got a passage chapter. It kind of it lines out uh, outlines Gurchieff's weird um, cosmology, which you know normally, yeah, the discussion of Gurchieff starts off with this idea of uh, you know the the war between the mechanical habitual uh, nature of people and the the possibility of actually being conscious um but the question of like how did we get into this uh condition where our behavior is all mechanical and automatic and like uh we're like sleepwalkers he he outlines this in um Beelzebub's tales to his grandson you know and Gurdjieff was um even though some of his ideas, like the idea that we only have a, a soul in embryo and we need to do this like spiritual work before um, it can become uh, immortal, uh, the immortal, uh, um, you know, that's like a, a obviously a, her a heretical idea from like a, a Christian perspective. But but Gurdjieff was a Eastern Orthodox Christian. You know, he was uh, buried in the Eastern Orthodox Christian Church and he grew up. You know, his father was Greek and his mother was Armenian. Um, so he grew up with in in orthodoxy. Yeah. Well, uh, he he called his system esoteric Christianity. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of debate about where he got it from because he was never very forthcoming about where he actually learned this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, that source you read about Bill Murray said that Gurdjieff was a Sufi. And that's usually, I think, cited as one of the main most likely sources. But no one really knows, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because it's so idiosyncratic in some ways, though it also syncs up with a lot of the mystical traditions. Um, sure. But yeah, like a lot of his travels to the east, it's sort of like that's sort of biographically what we know there. There were some travels to the east. Not there's not like a lot of from my understanding, there's not a lot of well, he went here and he talked to this guy and he went there and he talked to it's sort of like he disappeared for a while and then he came back shrouded in enigma. Kind of yeah. part of the myth that he yeah it's cool it's very yeah. cool yeah. and i just want to put a pin in what i said about the dehartmans earlier a lot of that might have just been hearsay look up the wikipedia if you want to know about dehartman but he was definitely kind of part of the he was part of the russian military like the czars the imperial army and everything and in any case very interesting story there but uh sam uh continue yeah so this is a, a passage relating to to how how humanity got into this state of of mechanical um, sleepwalking uh, behavior, it says that I, uh, I just drink the sleepy time tea with the bear on it. <laughs> All <works>. right, okay. <laughs> Let's see. He says that, um, and this will give you a good impression too of how how densely written this book is. Perfect. He says uh, it is necessary to notice that in the great universe. All phenomena in general, without exception, wherever they arise and manifest, are simply successively law-conformable fractions of some whole phenomenon, which has its prime arising on the most holy sun absolute. And in consequence, all cosmic phenomena, wherever they proceed, have a sense of objectivity. And these successively law-conformable fractions are actualized in every respect and even in the sense of their involution and evolution owing to the chief cosmic law the sacred heptapara parshinok (laughs) only time alone the sacred law of heptapara parshinok yeah is that what it is (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's the law of seven that's his funny name yeah sorry to mog you there sam i just i i love saying heptapara parshinok i just think it's great yeah 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 only time alone has no sense of objectivity because it is not the result of the fractioning of any definite cosmic phenomena and it does not issue from anything but blends always with everything and becomes self-sufficiently independent therefore in the whole of the universe it alone can be called and extolled as the ideally unique subjective phenomenon thus my boy uniquely time alone or as it is sometimes called the hero pass has no source from which its arising should depend, but like divine love flows always, as I have already told you, independently by itself and blends proportionately with all the phenomena present in the given place and in the given arriving arisings of our great universe. Wow. I'm going to take Brad's uh, bingo card spot here and go, wait, yeah. what? <laughs> like, I I would need to probably read that three times to yeah. really to really get it. I'm so thrown off by the say it again, Kevin, the hepta hepta paraparshanak, the, the sacred law of seven, basically. OK, yeah, okay. yeah. Let me see if I can find some wow. hepta paraparshanak. Oh, it's a song by Robert Fripp. <laughs> really interesting. Oh, That's that makes perfect. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let me let me uh, read a little bit of it. Thank you for that reading. That was yeah, really fabulous. You you're very very clear about it. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from the Wikipedia about Bezelbub's tales to his grandson. Throughout the book, Gurdjieff gave certain meaning to many of his original words, such as triamazakamno, the law of three, heptaparaparshanak, law of sevenfoldness, and soliunensius, certain cosmic law, and so forth. Whether Gurdjieff invented these words or applied certain concepts to them is unclear. Many of these words have roots in modern languages, while others have roots in ancient languages. Another possibility is noted in Life is Real Only Then When I Am, another one of his books, where Gurdjieff wrote that he accidentally learned of the word soliunensius from a whirling dervish. Gurdjieff <laughs> applied these words to minor concepts as well as some major ones. Uh, one of the major concepts is where Gurdjieff applies the word Hasnamus to certain types of people. According to Bezalbub's tales, Hasnamus is a being who acquires something which creates certain harmful factors for himself as well as for those around him. According to Gurdjieff, this applies to average people as well as to those who are on higher levels. This something is formed in beings as a result of the following manifestations. I'm going to read these. Every kind of, of depravity, conscious as well as unconscious. The feeling of self-satisfaction from leading others astray. The irresistible inclination to destroy the existence of other breathing creatures. The urge to become free from the necessity of actualizing the being efforts demanded by nature. The attempt of every kind uh, to... Uh, Excuse, excuse me, the attempt by every kind to artificially conceal from others what, in their opinion, are one's physical defects, the calm self-containment in the use of what is not personally deserved, uh, self-contentment. I'm going to read this one again because it's so good. The calm self-contentment in the use of what is not personally deserved. That's heavy. And mm -hmm. then this final one is also heavy. The striving to be not what one is. And you pick yeah. up almost like this force of, well, in any case, yeah, yeah. that book is heavy. Yeah. yeah, it's very heavy. And I think like a lot of people hearing that passage that I read would like roll their eyes at that and be like, well, this is just, you know, it's just gibberish. But mm -hmm. um, it's, that's because like, that's the way Beelzebub's Tales to his grandson is sort of written because he wanted his disciples his followers, I don't think he would have called them disciples, but the people in his group, the groups that he created and led um, to like really focus in and like think about this book and like concentrate on it, you know. Um, but a lot of these ideas are presented in In Search of the Miraculous and in the other books in a much more lucid, um, easier to understand format, you know, like he's talking about how the universe is governed by time and by these cosmic laws that uh come into being and the cosmic laws are just what we're subject to as um it's you know it's they're, they're what make us mechanical mm. uh, unthinking habitual beings just driven on by the the motions of our own thoughts and feelings you know mm. uh but yeah when you read this stuff in in like um in the uspensky book he he talks about like well, the heptaparapashanak, uh, Ospensky, I don't think he uses that term exactly, or if he does, he just calls it like the law of seven, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the the other set of laws is the law of, of three, 
which is like um, the law of three is basically this idea that in the world um, we're subject to like these three forces, which you could kind of relate compare to like the Trinity of Hinduism, Brahma, Shiva and Vishnu, or to like Hegel's idea of thesis, antithesis and synthesis. It's this idea of like, Gurdjieff calls them affirming, denying, and reconciling. It's mm. like similar to like Brahma is the creator, Shiva is the destroyer, Vishnu is the preserver. So like in in this life, we're subject to these forces of like like a a positive affirming force, a negative denying force, and then the the reconciling or synthesis between them. You know, and uh, the question though is how do you sort of like reckon with that fact? How do you uh, maybe even transcend the, uh, the, the, sure. the those influences, you know? Or how do you have them operate on you in a way that would make you a more, uh, yeah, like a fully awakened uh, being? Well, you know? and didn't he say, like, man is a three-brained being? Something to that effect? Yeah. yeah. So it it's as above, so below. Yeah, because for Gurdjieff, there's, like, three main centers in a human being, which are... Uh, it's really just thought, emotion, and then like physical, kinetic being, motion and action, you know? But his thought, thing, emotion, emotion, and horny. Horny. <laughs> yeah, for Gurdjieff, well, it was probably, yeah. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll save this for the, the sex segment that yeah. we're going to put on Patreon. But yeah, yeah he does say, say some interesting things in views from the real world about uh, about the role of sex energy in the, the human being, you know? But um, yeah, his view is just that these three these three centers in us, our thoughts, our emotions, and our physical actions are all out of sync. Like they're not working together under the control of one conscious self. Like Gurdjieff sees us as having no, you know, like when he says like there's no immortal soul, he, he's saying that like we're subject to the winds and passions of our own constantly changing being like there's no master and commander uh at the center of our thoughts and emotions and and actions they're all just unless actions. unless we create one unless, unless right. cult, you cultivate the master yeah yeah, yeah. and his main, his main method for doing that is called self-remembering where you just instead of getting lost in your thoughts and emotions you you try to like remember that you are there like there is mm-hmm. uh you, you know yeah the idea is like to crystallize this real um a real consciousness a real right because otherwise your your energy is just taken by the moon man is food for the moon which that's that's yeah that's another one of the weird ideas that people get i think would would turn people off you know like i remember the like atheist secular buddhist podcaster guy sam harris mm-hmm. he was like dismissive of gertrude because uh, i think of all the moon stuff but right. the moon stuff it's like another one of these things where it's like it's weird but um what he kind of means by it isn't entirely clear like he might be literally talking about yeah his whole idea is that on earth like the way he talks about in beelzebub's tales is like uh, like the universe is sort of this system where like low like the lower forces of existence are harvested to like feed these higher beings and entities and forces in this sort of cosmic 
hierarchy very gnostic we're, kind of the archons mm -hmm. and loosh and all, kind yeah, of adjacent to those ideas mm -hmm. and we're trapped in this and that the moon exerts this like influence on us where it keeps us in this state of sleep and then our energy is like harvested by the moon and then brought up to these like higher levels of of being um I don't have it like my with my familiarity with reading occult texts and esoteric texts, and I haven't dug deep into Gurdjieff. You know, you mentioned that somebody might hear this and kind of roll their eyes, and I guess I do get that. But like, I didn't. To I'm not going to say I totally grasped what that point of that Beelzebub passage was. But this is how a lot of esoteric and occult texts work. It's yeah. it's it's there's a lot of it is analogizing so you can kind of under so you can sort of understand things at a more imagistic level um uh, pulling in metaphors that might make things make sense and then also almost sort of dramatizing the concepts themselves so that they sort of come at you a certain way right um because otherwise you can fall into because some of this stuff that we're talking about and, and i i'm kind of nodding my head at all of this this all sounds reasonable um some of this you could break down and repackage as like modern cognitive behavioral therapy in like much drier language um, that would be a lot less interesting would be a, that would make me roll my eyes <laughs> like yeah. I'd rather hear about being food for the moon that sounds right I mean yeah, is he not he's sort of talking about actualizing the self mm -hmm. establishing boundaries right yeah. uh, avoiding negative influence I mean you could just yeah and this whole idea is that yeah the thing of like you aren't actually your emotions you should remember who you are when you're having an emotional experience yeah absolutely I mean I don't I don't know anybody who wouldn't tell you that. And that's not to that's not to disparage what Gurdjieff's saying and saying it's obvious and simple. But like these things do every time like Kevin or we had James Ellis on to talk about uh, Gurdjieff, every time I hear a new concept from him, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. <laughs> I'm getting Gurdjieff pilled hard. He, yeah. he was a huge influence on the new age. Mm -hmm. You can see why. Yeah. Like just the, the use of the term consciousness, which gets you bandied around, you know, a lot now that he was arguably, I, at least I heard someone say this, like maybe the, the first person to really use the word consciousness, like a lot hmm. in a hmm. spiritual sense. Like raise your consciousness, elevate your consciousness. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, I have a book by right. one of his uh, later devotees, EJ Gold. Are you familiar with EJ Gold? No, I'm not. He wrote a pretty succinct uh, book on Gurdjieff's ideas. I don't have a copy of it any longer. It's out there somewhere, but it's called The Human Biological Machine as a Transformational Apparatus. And it it's a resyncretizing of Gurdjieff's concepts in very, very simple language. Um, well, simple-ish language. He was friends with um, with Lily. The dolphin guy. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So you see these this, connections happening. Yeah. This book that I'm holding up for YouTube, which is mm -hmm. youtube.com slash at art of dark pod. I'll describe it to, for people who are listening, just listening. The hidden work. And this book is something Gurdjieff or uh, a rather gold wrote tr to try to explicate Gurdjieffian ideas on the nature of prayer. Mm. And the, the core idea that gold has in this book is that true prayer, objective prayer, like the objective art you mentioned earlier, Sam, 
is not where we pray for ourselves, but rather when we pray for the absolute, we mm -hmm. pray for the healing of all things. It, it's yeah. quite dense. Yeah. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah. Um, like I know, I don't know if Gertrude recommended this, but I know that when Ospensky had these spiritual experiences with Gertrude, he was also practicing the prayer of the heart or the, the Jesus prayer, you know, which is, uh, just saying, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me over and over again, um, which is, you know, part of Eastern Orthodoxy. And um, yeah, I remember Gurdjieff commenting on prayer where he said, for a prayer to be effective, it can't be truly mindless. Like you can't sort of just be uttering the words with your mouth while your mind is is elsewhere. There has to be a real intention, a real conscious wish and desire behind the uh the prayer you know it needs to be it sounds like it needs to be at the three levels what are the three levels the physical the emotional and the the mental, mental? yeah, yeah it sounds like it has yeah, to be it would, probably be it would have to be engaging all of that yeah. yeah yeah interesting yeah in this book he calls it prayer absolute hmm. uh and he talks about how in the past and this is this is ej gold he said this wrote this Prayer absolute, the method of ascension to the cross, was so commonly known by everybody that ancient initiates never thought it necessary to encapsulate it in initiations to be passed down from their century to ours. Prayer as it is today is useless in the objective sense because all contemporary prayer is subjective, even when sending up waves of good vibrations to Mr. God in heaven. Uh, and then he goes on. We must fully realize that praise is not prayer, nor is prayer religion. We should strive to learn the meaning of the phrase, bene orase est bene leborase, which means to pray well is to work well. In ancient Egypt, prayer absolute was well known. It was called the hidden work, and records were kept by the temple priests of their attempts to meet this obligation toward the absolute. Huh. So this is just one example of a dude, and I think he's a very California guy, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't know yeah, if he's still around and kicking, right. but uh, and this stuff is everywhere. I mean, mm. this we're talking about the new age and new spirituality in the 60s and the 70s. I mean, it's Gurdjieff and Crowley, and yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing, Sam, I wanted to get to because I wanted to give you a chance to talk about some of the stuff that you uh, have done and are doing. Um, but maybe we can start by saying sort of. Do you find as a as a writer um, uh, and a thinker and do, how do you feel like this Gurdjieff stuff makes its way into your process or does it? I mean, when you're do you do you find yourself uh, writing a novel, writing a sh short story? Is there some bit of Gurdjieff in you <laughs> in your head? That yeah. makes sense. Well, definitely not with every story. Like it's not enough of a. I mean, it, it definitely reading his writings and in particular Ospensky's, you know, in search of the miraculous definitely had a big effect on me, but uh, it's not like the main, it's not like a path that I actually personally follow or anything. I'm just mm -hmm. like, interested in it, but I, um, it, uh, um, all right. Where was I going with this? Uh, well, you're writing and you were reading. Oh, yeah. A, yeah. So when I was writing, when I was writing the, the book that you read, Brad, mm -hmm. the God of smoke and mirrors mm -hmm. that, uh, I was consciously thinking about Gurdjieff and uh, Rudolf Steiner, actually, too, uh, when I was writing that book. That was the like 
just the mythology that I created in that book and everything was influenced, I would say, by both of those those guys. But yeah, why don't I, you take a minute too? Like take a minute and talk about that book if you'd like. Or or yeah. the other book, um, The Great Cougar. I'm sorry, it's a great cougar hunt, right? The, the Great American Cougar Hunt. Great American Cougar right. Hunt. I knew I was missing a word. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either one of those, but maybe maybe it makes more sense to talk about the God of Smoke and Mirrors at this point. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, part of the book involved um, a, well, I don't want to give away too much, but I guess sure. I kind of gave this away already, maybe. Uh, there, there's like a, a hyper addictive smartphone game uh, called Silly Squirrels um, that figures in the plot. And uh, the game involves you like controlling a little squirrel and like hoarding acorns and just picking up acorns. It's it's not like described in too much detail what, what this entails, but it involves picking up acorns. And, um, but it actually, you know, has this like evil occult origin to it. Um, and it's, it's like this, um, consciousness harvesting, um, device, you know? Uh, so that was uh, the sort of mythology I created behind that and the, why this was happening and everything that was specifically where I think the influence of reading Gurdjieff uh you know came into this whole man is food for the squirrel (laughs) something like that yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) very good very cool very cool yeah i noticed i i felt reading it i felt there's like oh there's some and again i am i am the uh gurdjieff neophyte on this on this pod um but yeah reading that i felt like oh yeah there's some there's there's some gurdjieff between the lines on this for sure and just general uh you you have a uh clearly some knowledge about the occult uh but also a good sense there's there's the there's the content of like esoteric stuff and occult stuff but then there's also the vibe of it the sort of the aesthetic of it and you've you you captured that really well it, okay with without letting it take the book over if, if that makes sense um so yeah I, w- I was like oh this guy knows this guy knows what he's talking about yeah, it, ho- it hopefully <laughs> has a pretty light tone like it's supposed to be funny <laughs> It is. It is very funny. It's not supposed to be like Beelzebub's tales. No, it's not. I would say funny is funny is the first adjective in in my description of it for sure. But you but you also know what you're talking about when it comes to you know the the Gurdjieff stuff and the occult stuff and the esoteric stuff. So it's a it's a it's a really cool read. It's a romp. I would say it's a romp. I think that's fair. (laughs) I'm trying to see if I have a copy of it. Yeah, romp. There was a quote in it that I took it's attributed to the correct source uh, that I found in in one of the Gertrude books actually it was um, not well it's not a Gertrude book by Gertrude but it's by Jacob Needleman who is like a student of Gertrude and like a philosopher at the San Francisco State University I think okay and uh, yeah he's a really interesting guy and um, but he met he wrote this book called lost christianity which is hmm. you know gertie said that his teachings were esoteric christianity so lost christianity is kind of looking into the um surviving remnants of uh of this like esoteric tradition and he needleman talks with this eastern orthodox priest um anthony of Storouche. is it i think his name and um yeah so let's see yeah take your time i have some exercises from gurdjieff too i'm gonna as we sort of wind down i'm gonna read a few of them 
we'll tease the after dark. Then we'll come back for another uh, 30 minutes and talk more with our friend Sam Bunce, who, uh, yes, did you find it? Uh, sorry, no, I. Uh, well, That's all right. No worries. <laughs> I'm wasting the time of whoever is listening to no, me. That's oh, not, not right. at all. No, none but, uh, of our listeners. No time on the guard of darkness is wasted. <laughs> My God. When you think of all the things that they could be doing instead, they could be, as Gurdjieff says, they could be doing his first ex- exercise, which is, and Brad, I really, well, he looks, I really want you to internalize what I'm about yeah, to okay. say here. Okay. Let me okay. do the first. First three, and then Sam, you can take over. Number okay. one, and Brad, I really want you to focus on I'm, this. I'm, you too, I'm Sam. Focused. Join in. Join in. Number one, the effort to realize I have a body. So that's the yeah. first exercise. I could feel as soon as you said body, I actually felt it like my attention, Pat. That was that was interesting. Okay. I'm gonna read two more. The third one has an A and a B. Two. And I encourage uh, listeners to participate if you care to. The effort to realize that I descended into and became attached to this organism, this animal, for the purpose of developing it. Mm. Mm. Three, the attempt to realize the organism's mechanicity. A, its habitual reaction to recurrent situations, B, the magnetic relationship of the centers. Fill uh, it out with Gurdjieff. Yeah, <laughs> that last one easy. I don't. That last yeah. one I don't totally get, but okay. He, ju- he just wants to lift you up out of living in a reactive state sure. of mind, so that you can realize the I that is driving the meat machine of the of the body that's right. the core of, of what he's at and then a bunch of other stuff gets layered on i sure. think sam found his passage sam did you find I, it i did yeah all right it, it was from uh anthony bloom who was uh metropolitan of like uh, the western europe in the eastern orthodox church he was like the i think that was his position but he wrote um if you watch your life carefully you will discover quite soon that we hardly ever live from within outwards. Instead, we respond to incitement to excitement. In other words, we live by reflection, by reaction. We're completely empty. We do not act from within ourselves, but accept as our life, a life which is actually fed in from the outside. We're used to things happening, which compel us to do other things. How seldom can we live simply by means of the depth and the richness we assume that there is within ourselves? Mm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's interesting. And it actually made me think you had mentioned Sam earlier. You had mentioned another Sam, Sam Harris. And Sam Harris, his part of his project seems to be to get you to like kind of accept that you basically don't have a consciousness, uh, certainly don't have like any kind of free will. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of interesting because that the way that he frames it, he's like, just pay attention to your mind and just thoughts pop in that you're not controlling them. Like there is a way that Sam Harris is sort of saying kind of the same thing, but Sam Harris's thing is sort of like, yeah, so you're not, so it's almost yeah. like, a, so nothing, none of this matters. Kind yeah, of thing, it's, with, right? it's without the, uh, yeah, without the part where you then take the next step. Right, know? right, right. It's just like, yeah, you just, there's no thoughts in your head. And so who cares? And so whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of Very, funny because one thing I thought was an interesting connection is like, 
you know, he, he would be, Sam Harris would be associated with like the secular side of the mindfulness mm-hmm. meditation, you know, and uh, an interesting point uh, that this one scholar of Tibetan Buddhism made is that like the word that gets translated as mindfulness in the West and the original Buddhist texts in the, the Pali Canon, I forget the exact word, but it, what it actually means is it means remembering. It means mm-hmm. remembering who you really are. And that was Gurdjieff's term for, for um, his main uh, spiritual practice was to self-remembering. It was to remember who you really are. Right. And mindfulness has this slight, almost like separation to it, rather, as opposed to remember who you are, which goes through down through the three levels, right? Mm-hmm. Mindfulness is like, oh, you've got this little gadget in your head and like pointed at yeah. things. Like, <laughs> well, and it's yeah. all uh, couched in this er arch Protestant productivity cult that the mm. West sort of operates under as the big machinery yeah. in the sky, right? Mm-hmm. If you're more mindful, you'll be more productive and you'll be right. happier. And you're, you know, right. it has all of that weight bogging it down. Yeah. That is such yeah. an interesting fact. Yeah, Sam, about that translation. Huh. Yeah, yeah, I love and- that. I always thought that was something kind of weird about Sam Harris is that he learned from Tibetan Buddhists and from Tibetan monks, but in actual Tibet it, and with these monks and people he learned from, you know, mindfulness and, and this kind of meditation is entirely part of a a quest for transcendence, which, right. you know, takes belief, the, the belief in reincarnation and things like that, you know, very seriously, but he yeah. kind of took out th- that whole transcendent element. Yeah, careful when you're being syncretic, folks, that you don't throw away the good stuff, right? Like, yeah. you know, this pick and choose stuff is there's it's cool to do, but there's also like every once in a while it's like, well, oh, you and, forgot and, all the other stuff. You know, and maybe there you. may I don't know that much about Sam Harris, but then you're yeah. always oh subconscious bias. Well, be careful you just don't recreate Calvinism over and over, right? Uh, or whatever <laughs> right. else you know yeah. that's operating yeah. in the atmosphere that you don't, you know, uh, yeah. that you don't know is operating on you. Yeah. Uh, I really like Gurdjieff as a figure too, coming out of the, seeing the, the revolution, you know, World War One, the revolution, uh, and then World War Two, and just they, Europe was clamoring for these teachers. People could see the world ending. I mean, especially mm-hmm. after World War One, my God, they, they needed somebody to go, what the hell just mm-hmm. happened? And I, you, can you imagine all the dead men and all the dead right. women people yeah. after world war one the flu and everything everybody's just clan you know and, yeah and platitudes around to yeah platitudes yeah. weren't going to cut it either right, right. like it yeah. wasn't going to cut it to be like well no it'll all work out like mm-hmm. <laughs> you needed some you needed some something a little a little firmer yeah. than that yeah mm-hmm. ospensky said that one of the key moments for him in in realizing the truth of gurdjieff's teachings was uh you know Gurdjieff talked about the terror of the situation that we were in you know and since world war one was going on at that time it was like a perfect illustration of the uh the sort of mindless mechanistic violence that we could fall into and uh Ospensky, that came home to him when in i guess saint petersburg or wherever he was at that time he saw a truck loaded up with um prosthetic legs that were all going to soldiers who had lost their limbs fighting on the eastern front and uh that to him was like a moment where he he truly saw the like pointlessness of the war you know Mm -hmm. yeah like with gurdjieff non-violence is uh maybe not like not necessarily like literal pacifism i don't really know what gurdjieff thought about that but he definitely was against 
was against war you know mm-hmm. he was against violence and like the uh the sort of the like this mindless mechanical process that we're engaged in like violence is a key a key right. part of that you know yeah it it seems like it just in my very meager understanding that it, the violence violence conceptually is one thing but done out of this just reactive asleep machine like thing is horrifying right maybe yeah. there is a circumstance where violence actually makes sense and you're really occupying it right but like yeah this just like well you got a gun and they're supposed to shoot that guy and you know like yeah just kind of dumbly going through it is is terrifying absolutely um well we're kind of winding down these uh kind of getting to the end i do sam i do want you so you've got your book the two books that are out is there is there any other books out it's, it's those two right i'm not missing well, any no yeah, i know you've got a lot of writing out there the, though there's the short story collection the great american mm-hmm. cooper Hunt, and then yeah there's the novel the god of yeah years but um i i hope to have a, another short story collection out sometime this year so Ex- oh excellent excellent awesome and and the bunce cast uh what's going on with that so you got some stuff coming up soon on there that you can kind of tease or yeah um so my friend nathan worcester who is a journalist uh he popped on the the podcast and uh he's actually an energy journalist for the Hmm. the epoch times we didn't really talk that much about that he lives he lives here in chicago we did talk maybe a little bit about energy but um uh it really had just a lot to do with like chicago like we talked about nathan was like taking a walk and went by louis farrakhan's house and we talked about Louis Farrakhan okay. for a while. We All right. kind of just like ranged. It was a very wide ranging conversation. Oh, that sounds, that sounds cool. That sounds really cool for sure. Well, yeah, we'll, hey, folks well, look out for that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really exciting stuff. And uh, it's great that you've got these books coming out. I really appreciate you coming on. I always enjoy meeting somebody who's ready to talk about Gurdjieff and you taught me some things that I didn't know about those connections with oh, like cool. Bill Murray and yeah, very cool. And I uh, really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. Right, and, definitely. uh, yeah, we're going to go for another 30 minutes for the After Dark. Uh, but before we do, I'm making the show art. And typically what I do is layer uh, somebody's face or their avatar over the core episode image that we have. But your avatar is Gurdjieff. <laughs> and like Gurdjieff <laughs> on top of Gurdjieff. Uh, I don't know if that works. So what what should I lay on top of Gurdjieff in this in this sort of cinematic way? <laughs> oh, put the red uh, eyes on there. Oh, yeah, I, I'll put I'll put laser eyes on Gurdjieff. There we yeah, go. That's uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, maybe not red. Is there another color? Well, no, because these are these are dark. These are gray. It's, it's a right. dark room. So I'll just do laser eyes for Gurdjieff on okay. behalf of Sam Bunce. Very like exciting. <laughs> We're going to laser eye the moon. We're going <laughs> to Kubrick and his people are going to have to get out of the way. Um, yeah. Sam, could you give us give us your ad again? Give us your 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 links and stuff, and then we'll come back for the after dark. So I'm uh, at Sam Bunce, S-A-M-B-U-N-T-Z at twitter.com. <laughs> um, and uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Uh, my Oh, my blog, The Muted Trumpet. It's themutedtrumpet.wordpress.com. A lot of my writing's on there. Um, my Patreon also is linked to through my Twitter. And that's where you can listen to the Buncecast. Though it's also on like Spotify and... Um, um uh apple itunes Media. yeah oh, apple cool. iTunes. yeah yeah sorry yeah. no, and, no uh, not at all yeah yeah so uh yeah that's that's pretty much my online presence i mean I've right written, on 
or a thwart and uh, some other uh, magazines online, the critic. So you can find my writing there too. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. I was, I was reading through the, uh, I was reading through the muted trumpet today. Um, good stuff on there, man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like looking forward to what comes next there for sure. So people check yeah, that yeah. out. Gotta update it. Why yeah. is the trumpet muted? Oh, let's see. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, I think Miles Davis said that he, I remember reading an interview where he was like, um, I like using a muted trumpet because it sounds more human, you know, sounds more like a human voice, I guess. Hmm. And uh, so that was part of it. And uh, I think that I've been kind of thinking of the like muted post horn symbol from the crying of lot 49. Okay. Biden. That's what I, that's what I was thinking when I read it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Very cool. And yeah, so that that symbolizes like a secret underground system of communication, you know, which felt yeah. sort of fitting for a, a blog. Yeah, I dig sure. it. I dig Very it. Cool. Well, we're going to come back on the After Dark for Patreon, patreon.com slash Pod, And we're going to talk about some more of Gurdjieff's exercises. We're going to talk some more with our friend Sam Bunce. And we're going to talk about Gurdjieff and sex. So if you want that, you got to get into the Patreon. And I'm going to read us out with three more of Gurdjieff's exercises. And so gentlemen, just stew in these as we exit. Experiment of the part of the driver, the intellect, in order that he may learn his business. The formatory apparatus reporting the behavior of the organism to the eye. Formulation of observations concurrent with the act of observation. Okay. I'll be here all night. <laughs> I'm just thinking about just all that in the dead end. What? What the fuck? Hey, thanks, Gensel. Yeah, oh, thanks, yeah, thanks for having me.